Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation, live from Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. It's a pleasure to be here this evening on this warm, hazy, humid New York, New Jersey evening as we roll our way into the month of August. Although maybe as you are listening to this, it's a different month. Maybe you're listening in the future to the archive or the podcast. But whether you're listening live or in the future, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, This evening, I am going to spend the hour catching you up on some things. As I have done in past shows, every few weeks, there is an abundance of tech news that I have been storing up to tell you about because I have been off in these books, (laughs) these author interviews, which I also really enjoy. Uh, But the the thing about, like, uh, last week I spoke with Paris Marks about Road to Nowhere, his book, or excuse me, their book about uh, cars and automotive policy and electric vehicles and e-scooters and highway design and, and so on. And that was an important deep dive that I had been meaning to cover for some time. And yet, week after week, talking about uh, individual books, the rest of the tech industry continues to move ahead with their malfeasance. As, as I often say, the malfeasance of the tech industry never sleeps. And so we do need to take some time every few weeks to talk about what's happening and to make sure that we are staying abreast of what the, what the current state of, um, well, some would say innovation. I would say the state of risk that is being brewed up for us and our families, our communities, and in fact, our, our uh, entire society by a handful of companies that control the levers of power and money in the world today. Now, uh, the last time I did one of these roundups, so to speak, was I think it was June 20 when I did a show called Our Last Chance to Defeat Big Tech for a While. And in that, in that episode, I went into, uh, it, it, it wasn't a, a general roundup of tech news, but it was a roundup of, of, the, of the news around antitrust legislation in Congress. And what I talked about were two main bills. Uh, if, you, if you go to the notes page, you can see that there were, there were a, a third and a fourth bill that I listed there, but I didn't have time to get into. But the, the two most important bills for antitrust right now are uh, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, which is quite a mouthful, the AICOA. I don't know if we're supposed to call it the ACOA. I don't know. But that one, and then the second one is called the Open, Mar- the Open App Markets App. O-A-M-A, the OAMA. Not the Obama, but the OAMA. Both of them are really good pieces of legislation. They both deserve to pass. And as I said, and I got rather animated on, on uh, June 20, uh, we really need to pass these. And we needed, I should use, start using the past tense, we needed to get a vote on both of these uh, pieces of legislation before August because once Congress rolls around to August, they go into vacation mindset. There's this August recess. And when they come back from their recess, what's on their mind, at least this year, is the midterm elections. And it's a lot less likely that any big legislation is going to pass after the August recess. Well, the recess is upon us. So, and and neither, uh, neither piece of legislation has been voted on. So one thing that I wanted to tie up here was this loose end from June 20 when I was saying slash shouting slash losing my ever-loving mind on this microphone here in Studio A saying we need to have a vote on these two pieces of legislation. 
I didn't say it nearly as calmly, uh, but I, I think I have I've achieved some sort of uh, some sort of uh, evenness or, or calmness around this. Maybe I've just accepted what I can now see is about to happen. But as I said on on June 20, and I played some clips from this John Oliver show on on HBO that had just uh, aired talking about th these uh, these uh, bills, is that uh, New York Senator Charles Schumer a.k.a. Chuck Schumer, is the person who can bring these bills to a vote on the Senate floor. And he's a, a Democrat for whatever, for whatever that's worth. I, I don't know if that's even that important to mention because both of these bills are bipartisan. So whether he was Democrat or Republican, he's got votes from both sides of the aisle. This is not a partisan issue. As I've said many times, uh, the, the issues that we are facing with big tech are not left versus right or Democrat versus Republican. They are instead big tech versus the rest of us. And if you're not a senior leader or investor in Silicon Valley, if you are not uh, one of the overpaid vassals of our new feudal class, uh, top engineers or product managers or senior VPs, if you're not, if you're not in that class within this handful of companies, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Google, Microsoft, and a few others, then uh, you're part of the rest of us. <laughs> and if you're not already negatively impacted by these companies, you will be soon. So this, these, this legislation needs to be passed, and it has bipartisan support. And the news today that came out today, and I've linked to this, uh, this is an article in Axios. This is... Um, talking about Senator Amy Klobuchar, who has been spearheading the, the effort to get these bills passed, especially that first one, the AICOA. Uh, and these, these bills, they're just, you go back, you, I'm not going to get into it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go crazy again uh, if I go back into the rant from June 20. Let me just suffice it to say both of these bills are really common sense in terms of um, removing big tech's ability for self-dealing, for, for privileging their own products and distorting the market. If we want to have any semblance of competition or fair play in our economy at all, then these two bills should sail through. I mean, th there's no reason to give trillion-dollar companies an extra boost to pr privilege their own products. There's, there's absolutely insane to, to do that. And yet, that's how the system is set up. And so Klobuchar, who's a Democrat, along with Republicans, uh, are, are advocating for this legislation to say, hey, why don't we put in some just basic, basic uh, reforms to make the system a little less unfair? That's all. It's not even fixing everything in big tech. It's just this is the lowest possible bar for us to do something about this. And we needed a vote by August, before this August recess, and unfortunately, Schumer, who apparently uh, took a trip in the last few weeks over to Seattle, and people are speculating that possibly he was, he was visiting donors over at Microsoft and Amazon. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but there's you know, speculation, and then there's also speculation as I uh, played the John Oliver clip, John Oliver and Several others, uh, commentators, have pointed out that both of Schumer's daughters walk, uh, work for big tech companies, companies that would be negatively impacted by making the system slightly less unfair. And so Schumer has not brought either of these bills to a vote. And he keeps saying, he keeps saying two things. Number one, oh, I'm, I, don't worry, I'm going to bring it to a vote. I'll, I'll bring it to a vote. Sure, I, I'm just about to bring it to a vote. Of course, he never does. And the other thing he keeps saying is, well, but they don't have the votes. Well, they won't pass. They don't have 60 votes. And so you wonder, how do those two things, are, how can both of those things be true, be coming out of the same guy's mouth, that I'm going to bring him to a vote and I can't bring it to a vote because it's going to fail? Uh, well, Klobuchar and others have been pointing out the whole time, we have 60 votes. We have 60 votes. It, they're going to pass. It's bipartisan. We have enough Republicans to join with the Democratic sponsors. They're going to pass. Schumer, just bring it to a vote. 
And here I'm trying to calm myself down because that was the line that really got me animated last time. Just bring it to a vote. Well, Schumer didn't do it. Here we are in August. And here's this Axios story today, August 1st. And the headline is, Klobuchar admits tech antitrust vote will have to wait. And if you click through uh, to, into that story, and by the way, uh, these stories are available to you on the playlist. Go to WFMU.org, click playlist and comments, and uh, it's the, the first link there in the, in the news story section. And you can see a photo. I'm sure they, they chose this very carefully to show uh, Klobuchar grimacing about something. And that seems to fit the vibe of this story well. Incidentally, if you're listening in the future to an archive or podcast version, just go to the one-page Tectonic website at tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm, and click the playlist link for August 1st, 2022. And there it is. Klobuchar admits tech antitrust vote will have to wait. And the, the story begins by saying the Senate's most likely to succeed tech antitrust bill, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, won't get a vote before the Senate heads into August recess, said Senator Amy Klobuchar Saturday. And, and it goes on to summarize what it does. As I just said, it, it would bar big tech companies from prioritizing their own services over those of rivals. What a shame. What an absolute shame that we have clear enough thinking senators on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the aisle, who are ready to vote for this, and we have one uh, corporate-funded senator who apparently values his corporate donors uh, more than the will of this bipartisan set of senators and the, the greater American public, which, according to polls, is very much in favor of doing something about the runaway power of these self-dealing tech companies. We don't need to build a system that privileges trillion-dollar companies any more than they're already privileged. It's just, okay, calm, calm. Uh, I've been talking to friends, and it's not, a, it's not unanimous, but a number of friends have told me, you know, it's maybe a little better when you don't lose your mind on the mic. So I'm trying. I'm trying this out. I'm talking about the, the absolute idiotic uh, destruction of our economy and any semblance of fairness uh, at the hands of a few trillion dollar companies. And I'm trying to say it uh, with, uh, with, a, with a neutral tone of voice, maybe even a little smile, because it's absurd, isn't it? It's absurd. Ah, here we go. So I'm interested in the playlist comments. You can tell me. Uh, is, it, is it worth absolutely losing my mind once in a while? Because it's, it's hard to resist sometimes. But I'm trying to be neutral this evening. So that's the first loose end that I wanted to tie up with you, is that it looks like the antitrust bills are not going to get a vote by before the August recess. And when the Senate comes back from this, from this August recess, it's not clear that Schumer is going to be any different and is actually going to bring the bills to a vote. I would like to conclude that I'm just being cynical and Schumer has a plan to turn this around and bring them up to a vote uh, right after the recess. And I will be happy to conclude that I was wrong, I was cynical, and Schumer did a good job. I, I'm, I'm crossing both fingers. I'm hoping that's the case, that Schumer is going to show up and do the right thing, and we're going to get a, a tiny semblance of fairness injected into this big tech led economy. But we'll see. We'll see. So um, th the question that comes to mind, having seen this, and I had named this episode a few days ago before that Axios story, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall. This is where we were headed, seeing the calendar tick day after day and no vote and no vote. The question that has come to my mind, and this is, this is now the, I'm going to reveal the, the name of this episode. If you haven't seen it on the playlist, the, the question that comes to mind is, what now? What do we do now? Uh, and, and by that I mean that, as I said on June 20, we have been waiting and some of us have been working for years, years and years to get to this point where the U.S. Congress has an ability to actually force the hands of these trillion dollar companies to make some measurable change in our economy, to, to make it slightly fairer and to begin to chip away 
at their unethical and toxic practices that, are, that they get away with day after day. Here we have a perfect chance to do something about it, and it has been in process for years, and now it looks like it's going to fail. Let me just say it. It looks like we're going to fail after so many years of trying. And so the question is, what now? Well, one, one opportunity or one choice, I guess, we have is to throw up our hands and say, well, this just goes to show you that nothing good can ever happen in this world. We're in a, we're in a depraved and corrupt world, and so it's not even worth trying. And so we're just going to, I don't know, just give in and, and, and look to, to make change elsewhere. And I don't support that myself. I mean, everyone needs to make their own decision and no judgments. But I think that the more it looks like an impossible situation, each round that the, the toxic, monstrous big tech companies win has to solidify my resolve that much more, that it's even more worth fighting this fight, even as it gets more and more hopeless. And I don't know how to explain it, just that the stronger they get and the, the more unassailable their empires look, the more interested I am in trying to find some way to encourage some kind of change. And so the, the, the question being, what now? My first answer is a negative answer. We can't give up. Or I'll speak for myself. I can't give up, even as Congress looks like it's about to fail due to the amount of corporate money that's flowing around uh, in, in quote-unquote donations and, <laughs> and support. Um, it, I cannot conclude that this is a lost cause not worth working on or talking about anymore. It's even more worth it. So that's the, my first answer is, is a negative one. The second answer is there's always something we can do. If, uh, to use the old cliche, if one door closes, another one has to open. And if Congress is going to fail, despite the best efforts of some, some very well-meaning senators on both sides of the aisle, if Congress has to fail at this point, we have to look for solutions elsewhere. And let me, let me emphasize, I'm talking about legal nonviolent solutions. There's always some interesting um, uh, suggestions lobbed, so to speak, on the uh, WFMU playlist chat board. And, uh, and it, it, I'm fine with people venting. But as, as for me, what I officially think uh, or what I officially recommend that we look into, they're bounded by law and uh, nonviolence. So here I'm I'm not looking outside those bounds, okay? So what are our choices within the boundaries of legal nonviolent action, seeing that our collective approach as voters and citizens uh, has not worked to bring about change on behalf of our elected representatives, which is disappointing. Well, of course, one thing we can do is try again in the next election cycle and uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a switch of, of party leadership. Maybe the other party leads. Who knows if they'll be interested in doing anything on this. Uh, I, I just don't feel like I'm very hopeful in terms of the future for Congress. So right now I would put that one on the back burner at most. So beyond congressional action, where do we got to go? And this is a serious question, friends. I mean, we can talk about interesting books weeks to week to week, and I can have this interview and, and that profile. But this is, this is one of the core questions of this show, which is coming up on five years. One of the core questions is, how do we live in a society that is, that is overbearingly dominated by this handful of companies who just will not change. They will not change on their own. They have to be forced into it by legal nonviolent means. <laughs> so what do we do? How do we live? How are we supposed to live? I'm, I, this is not an idle question. This is a question that animates this show year after year. How do we live in, in, a, in a society dominated by these monsters, these unethical monsters, in some cases murderous 
violent monsters that, uh, that will incite violence around the world in order to keep their profits up and keep up their growth at any cost. These are not amoral companies. These are actively immoral, unethical companies. How do we live in a world that's dominated by such deeply unethical leadership? It's a really important question, and it impacts all of us. Um, I have said in the past that solutions come in two flavors. They come on the individual side, and they come uh, as collective solutions as well. So the punchline here, of course, is that I think collective solutions are more effective, especially in the long run. Uh, change is only going to come from collective solutions, legal, <laughs> nonviolent collective solutions. But before I uh, dive into those, let me just say a word about individual action. Um, there was some good news. This, and this is going to tie into individual action. There was some good news this past week. And that is that being the, the end of July, these uh, public companies all have to present their earnings to the public markets, to investors and analysts and the media. And they all have to say, how's their growth at any cost bid going? How is their growth uh, the, this past quarter uh, compared to the same quarter last year? Year-over-year year growth and profits and all the kind of stuff that if you read any kind of financial or business news, these are the kinds of things that they talk about. Well, these companies all came out with their earnings reports. And... Um, and I want to tell you some good news because I have been, I have been, <laughs> I have been on my soapbox a little bit about the, the grim, depressing news and our, our uh, future prospects on, on behalf of these, these terrible companies. Well, the good news, the good news is that several of the big tech companies reported a kind of decline in their growth at any cost attempt. So, for example, Twitter. Well, Twitter uh, often, and I wouldn't even put Twitter in the, the monstrous uh, company of these, these top five giants, but it's in there and it has the same kind of growth at any cost business model. It's toxic and addictive and, and terrible in a lot of ways, which is why I have not used my Twitter account in over three months now, and I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. But Twitter uh, said, Twitter reported that it had a decline in revenue. I mean, that's a big deal. Twitter uh, declined in revenue, whether that had to do with the recession or users abandoning it, or maybe had something to do with Elon Musk uh, messing around with Twitter as always, who knows? But that's one data point for you. Okay, Twitter had a revenue decline, great. Second is that Google, their rate of growth, now Google still reported some growth, but I'm trying to look for the good news here. Their rate of growth slowed down, so they're not growing quite as fast as they were before. And for a monster like Google that is accustomed to growing and growing and growing and growing and gobbling up anything and everything in its path, a decline in the rate of growth is concerning for Google leadership, and it's very good news for us because it shows a little crack in the armor, a little possibility that things might be turning in our favor uh, in terms of this company as well as Twitter. And then finally, the best news of all, Facebook, or rather it's now we have to call it Meta, stupid name, but Facebook slash Meta posted its very first revenue decline, that's the, you know, the, the gross amount of money that they make, top line, it's the first revenue decline in the company's history since they went public back in 2012. So as a public company for, for 10 years, Facebook has been growing and growing and growing and growing its revenue, and finally they saw a drop in their revenue, and this is not long after they suffered a drop in their a number of users, the number of active users that came, uh, was reported back in February. So these are two really big data points that are both really good news for us. Uh, and combined with the news from Google and Twitter, it tells a story, maybe we can begin to conclude that possibly 
big tech is slowing down just a little bit. And you hope that's a sign of greater things to come, meaning greater declines and greater slowdowns in these monstrous companies. But the thing, the reason I bring up individual actions with respect to this good news is that I like to imagine the reason Facebook's revenue declined is because all over the country and all over the world, people, whether they were listening to Tectonic or other shows or reading other books or magazine articles or just talking to friends, that the wisdom on the street in the last few months has been, you got to get off of Facebook. Facebook is not good for you. Nobody cool uses Facebook anymore. We're abandoning Facebook. We're all going to forget Facebook, to use the phrase from, from the sign-off of, of this very show. And I know there are some listeners in the Tectonic uh, listening base who have reported that they turned off their Facebook account and they turned off their Instagram account. And some have even said they, they have gotten off of WhatsApp as well, which is a Facebook property. And if you multiply that by millions of people, maybe, just maybe, the individual actions of people have had a slight measurable effect in Facebook's bid for growth at any cost. And that is very good news. So one thing that says to me, friends, is that if you still use Facebook, you still have the chance to delete your account. And I know not everyone can do that. Some people are required because of their job to be on Facebook, or they're required because for some uh, unfortunate reason, the kids' soccer league still, for some reason, uses Facebook to post their, the soccer schedule. They had to be on Facebook. I understand that. But for people out there, and there are many who have the choice and have the ability to delete their Facebook account and delete their Instagram account, it can be done and your life will almost certainly improve overnight by doing that. And I'm just, I'm just uh, referring back to what people have reported, self-reported, when they have gotten off of social media, off of Facebook, off of Instagram, off of Twitter, myself included, getting off of Twitter. I can think better, I can read better, I'm more calm. <laughs> Not always on the mic, but uh, just generally, it has been a benefit to my life not to be checking Twitter. And I, I haven't been on Facebook in years, but it's the same thing uh, with Facebook. So if you can delete your Facebook and Instagram account, that would be a good thing to do. Now, maybe you can't, or maybe you already have. Here's the next task. Who do you know? Who is still using Facebook or Instagram? Who could delete their account? Maybe it's a, a partner or spouse. Could you convince kids, your kids, or your, your niece or nephew to get off of Facebook or Instagram? That brings up another issue of what the kids are using today, and that gets to TikTok, which I may get to a little bit later in the show. But just talking about this decline in Facebook's fortunes, it's, it's not just people decide, waking up one day and deciding, I'm out, which, which is good on its own, but it's also due to them spreading the word to friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members. Hey, I got off of Facebook and Instagram. Maybe it's time for you to do that too. And, um, and so let me just sing the praises in a limited fashion for the possibility of individual action. As, as an answer to this question, what now? What now? Well, one thing you can do is take your own individual action and make some positive change in the tools, services, platforms, apps that you use. And maybe you have some influence on some close relationships, friends or family, and you can influence their individual actions too. Get off of Facebook, get off of Instagram, get off of WhatsApp, stop checking Twitter, and so on and so forth. So having said this, having said this about individual action, let me just say that, again, that in the long run, if everyone listening to this broadcast got off of Facebook and Instagram, which would be great, by the way, it still wouldn't make a blip in Facebook's ongoing attempt to take over our economy, our society, and everything else, our media, education. 
nor, nor would it make a, a blip in Google's fortunes if, if the same number of people stopped using uh, Google services. What we need in order to cause real change in these monstrous tech giants is a collective approach, a legal, nonviolent collective approach. And my first, my first and most favorite uh, opportunity was congressional action. And I say was because I think, I think that dream is dead for now, for probably for, for several years. I really hoped that our elected representatives could use the power of democracy and the full uh, force and might of, of the, the, the legislative branch in this country and force a change. Um, but big tech fought tooth and nail. They threw every lobbying effort they could. They had lobbyists uh, just crawling uh, around Capitol Hill. The CEOs like Tim Cook from Apple visited the Senate to, to make, uh, you know, hat in hand, to, to make personal appeals. Uh, and who knows what kind of deals they were striking um, in order to get these votes on their side. Uh, the companies came up with fake advocacy organizations uh, saying, oh, all, all this, this new advocacy organization opposes the antitrust bills and, and journalists looked into it and it turns out it was all faked. Uh, lying, deceitful, deceptive, uh, means from these companies to try to make some change in their, or try to uh, prevent any change from being made by the U.S. Congress, and it looks like they have won. They deployed their. I have to. I have to give them uh, credit in a in a sick sort of way. They used their resources well to their own advantage, and uh, they were able to defeat democracy again in this round. So we need another collective solution, and. I, I think it's going to have to come bottom up the, the, because the congressional option was the top down um, collective approach. We're going we're gonna to go to our elected representatives. We're going to call, write, email. I, I gave you a, a site called antitrustsummer.com on June 20. I know a bunch of you uh, sent in letters to your senator. And uh, some of you sent me the responses that, that, got, that you got back. We tried. We tried. And thank you for trying. But w I think we have to abandon the top-down approach for now and look at bottom-up solutions. So this, in the end, friends, has got to be our approach and our answer to this key question of what now? Um, and I, I think the answer is we need a collective response. It has to be bottom-up and it needs to be legal and nonviolent. And, and that is our best chance to deliver some real positive change. And now, as an intermission, because I have just been talking and talking for, what, 32 minutes now, as an intermission, I would like to play an, a, an, a, an ancient, uh, in internet years, an ancient audio clip. This is from 2001, so it's 21 years old. And this shows real enthusiasm uh, in the tech industry. And it just shows, I don't know what you want to conclude about this. To me, it shows uh, a reminder of exactly who our overlords are. Although he's no longer at Microsoft, uh, Bill Gates's right-hand man, Steve Ballmer, gained viral immortality back in 2001 at a giant developers conference on behalf of Microsoft. And um, he was accompanied by <laughs> a recording of Gloria Estefan. Some of you know exactly what this is. It is the quote unquote monkey boy video. I can only play you the audio on the radio, but here is Steve Ballmer from 2001. And then we'll be back with bottom up solutions to answer the question, what now? Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Ballmer!
more words for you. I love this company. Yes! Okay, so that was Steve Ballmer in 2001 saying, I love this company, and Microsoft has gone from success to success, I guess we could say, over the past 20 years, and now it is one of the five toxic tech giants that we're talking about this evening. This is um, our, our question tonight is, what now? If you're just tuning in, by the way, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. We're talking about the question, what now, in the wake of news from Congress that the antitrust bills are, are not going to pass. They're not even going to have a vote before the August recess, and it's unlikely that we'll see a vote or any meaningful action before the midterm election. So uh, although I could be wrong and I'd love to be wrong, I think the dream is over for top-down congressional action against these tech giants, uh, despite the votes being there to pass the bills, uh, which is too bad. So in terms of uh, bottom-up collective action, I think we have to look at, uh, among other things, some tools out there that are outside of big tech's grasp. And we need to look at decentralized tools. There's, uh, if you want to have an example of a social network, for example, um, there's a lot of different kinds of decentralized tools, but, but one that decentralized networks are used for is connection uh, between people. And so a, a, a kind of um, something that slightly resembles Twitter, uh, but is decentralized, is a service called Mastodon. I think I've mentioned it on past shows, but you can just do a search online for Mastodon, and you'll find a site, and I've put a link on the playlist at wfmu.org, click playlist and comments. One of the uh, servers for Ma within the Mastodon, uh, federated Mastodon network is called Mastodon.social. I believe this was the original uh, server for Mastodon, and I think it's the most popular. Um, I have an account on Mastodon.social as well. And it's, one, it's a place where I just sort of experiment with what it's like to use a decentralized service. Um, and it's, it's not as, I guess it, it's not as polished as Twitter is, but neither does it have an algorithmic feed. So it, 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 it does not have the core uh, toxic heart of Twitter's business model or algorithmic feed, but it, it, it also has some downsides in that it's, you know, it's not built by one of the richest companies in the world. It, does not have however many millions of people using it. So it's more of an experimental feel. But I point it out because it's one good example of an initiative out there of bottom-up decentralized networking that may point a way forward. There's also, I put a link on the playlist to uh, a piece by Ethan Zuckerman. This now, listen. I'm saying Zuckerman. I'm not saying Zuckerberg. <laughs> Ethan Zuckerman is is a longtime researcher. He's also these days a professor at UMass Amherst, and he wrote a piece on June 30 called "The Good Web," and it was th this this essay, "The Good Web," was in a way his own answer to the same question: What now? And he went through a number of different possible ways that we could still try to live in this society and use technology that's not dominated by these big tech giants. And one of the things he pointed out that I, I hadn't heard of before is this thing called PubHub, P-U-B-H-U-B, and it's a, he writes that it's a new network being created in the Netherlands. So if, if um, listener Boz in Utrecht is, uh, is listening, maybe Boz, you can tell us if you've, if you've encountered PubHub because I looked at the site and it was, it was all in uh, Dutch. But what Ethan Zuckerman writes is that PubHub is a new network in the Netherlands created by Dutch academics envisioning a system of networks based on important institutions and people's lives. So they mention your town's local government or maybe the soccer league or, or your kid's school. And in the same way that, as I said before, 
things like a soccer league really should not be on Facebook uh, because it then exposes all the families and the kids. It requires them to, to go through this gauntlet of Facebook's toxic business model and all the privacy harms and everything else that is loaded into Facebook every time you log in. He, this this uh, PubHub um, initiative created by Dutch academics is saying, no, 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 let's try something decentralized. Let's try some in, in creating an alternative that's outside of big tech. It's going to be bottom up and it's we're going to have networks that are only small scale used used by these individual institutions. So you would have a network, let's say, just for the soccer league. So imagine logging into, uh, you can imagine it as a mini Facebook or a mini Twitter, a little network, a social network, but it, the only people on it were the other people in the soccer league. So you didn't have advertisers coming in with their, with their little messages. You didn't have crazy conspiracy theories being slotted into the feed. Uh, by, by Facebook's growth at any cost algorithm. You wouldn't have a trillion dollar company that's always trying to uh, subvert your privacy and, and deceive you and what, what it's doing, uh, looking at your data, selling off your data to third parties without your knowledge or consent. None of that, all of that nonsense is just completely cut out of the, 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 the possible operation because all it is is a little local network for your soccer league. Why, let me ask you a question. Why can't we have things like that? Why can't we have nice things? It should be completely reasonable and doable. It does not, I don't have a whole lot of experience building something like that, but it seems to me that it wouldn't be that technically difficult to have a little single purpose social network decentralized, set up in a bottom up fashion by the soccer league, by the, by the kids' school, or by your town government. And that's what people use. Why does every social network have to be owned by some Silicon Valley VC-owned company? I, I don't understand. Why is our imagination so stunted that that's the only thing that we think we can use? Uh, it, it seems obvious to me that we should have a whole panoply of options that are beyond these, these narrow, toxic sludge dumps coming out of Palo Alto and, and, that, and that Bay Area Peninsula and Seattle. We should have a great flowering of all bottom-up of all kinds of single-purpose little social networks. that they, they don't even need to talk to each other. If you have a soccer league social network, that should run on a little piece of software on, on somebody's server, have a little bit of uh, encryption and security, but really, hack what do hackers want to do breaking into the soccer league schedule for one little town somewhere? It's not a very high-value target. Um, it seems like we should be able to build these, and it should be uh, just matter of course that any time a soccer league uh, gets set up or there's a little town somewhere and it has a, needs to make an announcement via their their uh, their government server that that could something like that could get set up rather than always going to Facebook or Instagram for the local town news and, and alerts which is just the, the worst place for a town or a soccer league to show up so anyway take a look at that essay by Ethan Zuckerman it's called the good web just written a few weeks ago and um, as Zuckerman writes, there are some downsides to this bottom-up approach. As he says, uh, what's unclear about the, these small networks is whether they'll be able to attract substantial participation. Many small networks have arisen before to challenge the dominance of global networks, but they tend to thrive briefly and die. Well, maybe, friends, maybe we are at a turning point in our collective relationship with big tech where enough people out there are saying we've had it we've had it with zuckerberg we've had it with with google and and youtube we've had it with all of these guys we need alternatives and we are willing to set up and stick with small independent bottom-up networks that's possibly very good news that 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 uh, dovetails with the very good news of the crack in the armor of these toxic giants, as I said before. Uh, so that's one thing. Another thing that you might look at is alternative devices. This is less of a collective, but probably more back on the individual side. But remember um, 
back uh, on December 2nd, 2019, I, ta I talked to Joe Hollier, who's the co-founder of uh, The Light Phone. He and his business partner created this uh, little mini smartphone that does not have very many functions. It has a black and white screen. It doesn't have any social networking apps on it. Um, I think these days it can do directions and s some semblance of maps. Uh, but mainly what you can do on the Light Phone is call and text. That's about it. Uh, and you can go back and listen. I put a link on the playlist to that old Tectonic interview from 2019. That's another example of a project out there of, of, of a company that is trying to build alternatives to big tech tools. Um, so that's, that's the good news. And if you, have, um, if you have some pointers to decentralized networks or other tools that you like that, are, that um, Tectonic listeners should know about, please either email me at mark at wfmu.org or post it on the comment board at wfmu.org. Click playlist and comments, and we can talk about it in a future episode. We just have a few minutes left. So let me leave you with a little bad news. <laughs> um, the, the, the reason I want to end with bad news is that I want to remind you that even as we're talking about these possible uh, flowering futures for decentralized uh, collective responses, to, to create and embrace alternatives to big tech. The, the clock is ticking on this stuff because big tech is, is not changing until they are forced or until other alternatives really begin to eat into their user base. They're not changing. They are continuing to roll out these shockingly bad ideas of products, tools, platforms, APIs, networks, protocols, you name it, every day. I mean, these companies have more, they literally have more money than they know what to do with. And so they are deploying it in the most toxic ways they can possibly imagine, trying to one-up each other in their bid for growth at any cost. And as I said a few weeks ago, growth like this is not good for us. It's not good for you or your family. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for, in terms of climate change. It's not good for democracy. These trillion dollar companies that are not giving up on growth at any cost, they will not stop until every last drop of value is sucked out of the system and internalized into those companies. And outside of those companies, there will be nothing left but a wasteland. And I mean that literally and metaphorically. We, and go back and listen to my interview with Carolyn Chen, who wrote Work for a Code, to see how that's already beginning to take shape in the Bay Area, in the backyards of these companies. Anyway, this is all to say we have to keep up the focus uh, because these companies are continuing to metastasize in our society. And one example of that is a CNN story that came out on July 14, just, just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the headline is, Amazon's Ring has provided doorbell footage to police without owner's consent 11 times so far this year. Um, and if 11 doesn't sound like a big number, let me just remind you, as the CNN story says, Amazon, Amazon Ring, this is the, the surveillance doorbell that people are installing left and right all across the U.S., thinking, oh, it'll be so easy if I can see who's at my door uh, by installing this thing from happy little Amazon. Well, what Amazon is not always clear about is that Ring doorbells, when you hook it up to your Wi-Fi, they're sharing the video and audio of everything seen out of that surveillance doorbell. They're sharing it both with themselves within Amazon servers for some kind of opaque processing and possibly sharing without your knowledge or consent. They're not gonna tell you what they're doing with that, but they have a view into your front yard and they can hear everything that's said with an earshot of that front door. The other thing is that they're sharing that footage with the local police department. Amazon has had a very uh, intentional outreach to local police departments all across the U.S. And as the CNN story says, here's the quote, Ring currently partners with 
2,161 law enforcement agencies and 455 fire departments that can request surveillance data from ring doorbells. And so we have, uh, thankfully, we have Senator Ed Markey in, in Massachusetts who's trying to do something about this. Senator Markey, in a press release, said that those numbers represented a five-fold increase from November 2019. Amazon also declined to commit that Ring would never use voice recognition technology in its doorbells, and Amazon rejected Markey's request that Ring cameras stop automatically recording audio by default when they take video footage. And so let me, let me read you what Markey wrote about this. Markey writes, as my ongoing investigation into Amazon illustrates, it has become increasingly difficult for the public to move, to assemble, and to converse in public without being tracked and recorded. We cannot accept this as inevitable in our country. And uh, he continues, I'm particularly concerned that biometric surveillance could become central to the, to the growing web of surveillance systems that Amazon and other powerful tech companies are responsible for. That was a release just two weeks ago, friends, out of Senator Ed, Ed Markey's office in Massachusetts. That shows you that this is a clear and present danger. What Amazon is doing, this is just one example. I'm running out of time. It's just one example. One product, Amazon Ring, from one company, Amazon, in that cartel of surveillance capitalist monsters, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, Twitter, Microsoft, Uber, and the rest. Uh, and we have to stay on the ball here to continue to look for ways to resist and to look for alternatives and to try to keep our sanity because we have to get through this together. It is not an option to be nihilist and give up. At least it's not an option for me, at least not yet. I hope it never comes to that, but I feel, again, as this becomes more and more impossible seeming, my answer to the question, what now, is simply keep going. Keep going. Let's keep going, friends. And thank you so much for being with me. Um, I want to say one thing about schedule. I hope you will join me this Saturday. I'm guest hosting Double Dip Recess, thanks to Roger's invitation. And that show goes from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern. So again, this Saturday, August 6th, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, I'm guest hosting Double Dip Recess. That's our kids' show, and I've got a lot of fun tunes coming up and uh, a surprise or two as well. So I hope you will join me for that, and I hope you will stay tuned to WFMU to listen to uh, Let the Globe Spin with Ebba and... Vocal Fry with the great Dan Boda, and then Brother Daniel Blumen following after and on into the post-midnight hours. Just stay tuned. Just stay tuned to WFMU. It's always a good policy. Because, you know why? Do you know why? Because this is the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. And... Uh, until next time, friends, you know what to do. Avoid Amazon and Apple. Forget Facebook. And whatever you do, get off Google. And uh, speaking of senators, here's another great viral hit from the past. Here's what Senator Ted Stevens had to say about the Internet. Have a great week, everybody. It's not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's a series of tubes. the other day.
Massive, massive tubes. It really is the Internet Consumer Bill of 